episode of the Better Two Podcast is brought to you by Kitty Mystic and DM Needham, author of My Days with the Dark Muse, as well as Love is Worth Waiting For. Hi, gang. Donna here. Thanks for tuning into the Better Two Podcast. Today's guest is Kevin Palmonera. Kevin has a Better Two moment that some of us have dealt with. He had a great job, a great life. His girlfriend had left him, but before that, he had this wonderful relationship. He was making money. He had the car. He had everything he thought he wanted. But something inside of him, well, it just didn't feel right. And maybe that happened after he lost the girlfriend, but still there was something that didn't feel right. So he found himself sitting in a hotel room, sitting on the bed going, what am I doing with my life? So hear his story. Stay tuned. Kevin, how are you doing today? Donna, I am doing very well. I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to see where we go today. I am too. And I know we were supposed to do this before, but we had some other issues. So I apologize. No and I'm glad we got to make it all work now. So your story, you know, it's funny because it's not funny. Your story is not funny, but people will see a person succeeding and thriving and we'll use Kate Spade as an example, and Anthony Bardone. And they see this outward image of they have everything mm. and everything seems to be good. So then they're left perplexed when somebody actually commits suicide. You, however, didn't do it, but you were taken to the brink of it. So mm. why don't you tell us about how your life was at the time? Yeah. So like you said, everything from the outside seemed like it was amazing. I had a high paying job. I had just done a bodybuilding show. So I had genuinely the body of my dreams. Um, my girlfriend at the time was a model. I had a new apartment. I had a sports car. I had everything that I thought I wanted and that anybody could ever want. But inside, I was still super insecure. I was still depressed. I was still anxious. I was still not happy with who I was as a human being. And I think that one of the reasons that all that weight hits you at once is when you start getting these results that you assume, quote unquote, should make you happy and they don't, then you have to look in the mirror and say, well, why don't I like who I am as a person? And that was the hardest thing for me. That was really, really a humbling, humbling moment. And when you look in that mirror and you don't like what you see, there's a couple ways you can go about it. Now, luckily, I went into personal development and I didn't take any other paths or any other vices, but I do understand why people who get everything that they think they want kind of hit a rock bottom when they realize that it's not making the changes that they hoped or assumed it had. Well, that's the thing. Everybody thinks that, oh, well, we'll use celebrity. I have, they're rich, they're famous. They have no problems. Oh no. Yeah. Their problems are even more magnified because if you are already feeling insecure and then you have people consistently saying they love you, even though they don't, and you do something wrong, you know, let's, and I, I've talked about Brittany before, but let's take Brittany, for example, because she, she was at the epitome of her success. You know, she had two kids and because everybody's stalking her, she opts to drive with her kid in the front seat, which then she becomes a pariah because look, she's endangered a kid. But who put her in that situation? Yeah. And how do you, and even as a normal person, when you go for, because I had a 16 year old guy who tried to commit suicide and survived. But when you are so, you think everything on the outside, when you're looking for the outside gratification, it's going to make everything right. But if you haven't worked on the inside and confronted your shadow self, you're not going to get any success or, or happiness from all the things you're doing. Yeah. And I think that I like to use Macaulay Culkin as an example, because this, this is somebody who, before he understood what real life was like, was one of the most famous humans on the face of the earth. And I think that if you don't have time to adjust your character, you can't necessarily handle all the feedback or all the opportunity. Justin Bieber is another great example. And for a long time, I would say, oh, of course, this person's not a nice human being. Of course, they're selfish. Of course, they're arrogant. But now that I've experienced as much life as I have, it makes sense to me that if you get results that your character can't sustain, something is going to happen. Whether it's, you know, you're on the news for saying something or doing something or hurting yourself, whatever it may be, 
if your character can't sustain the results, something has to change. And oftentimes it's a negative behavior or running from the limelight or whatever it may be. And now it makes sense. But Mm -hmm. if I didn't have the quote unquote success without the character to sustain it, I don't know that I would understand. So I think it takes a, often it takes a level of experience to actually have that empathy. And now I do, which I'm, I'm understanding of, but I wasn't always. Well, look at Drew Barrymore. I mean, she, you know, she comes from a long line of Barrymore's. There's a big family history. And then, you know, she does E.T. and all of a sudden everybody just thinks she's so adorable. So then she's she's drinking and everything underage. And granted, she survived and she's had a long trial and tribulation of life. But like you said, how do you at a young age, how do you grasp this? Mm. And, And. I mean, I'm older than you. We didn't have social media to sit there and play the instant gratification game with. So if you're looking for likes and okay, the other day I had first time ever, I had something on TikTok blow up to 3,200 views. And yeah, part of me is like, okay, that's great. My next video is not so great. And I'm thinking I'm not playing this game. This is the, this is the endorphin drug of TikTok that, or any social media that yes, I got a hit, but it's like, no, you, you can't because it's outside gratification that's only playing a game with you. Yeah. And it's the consistency anyway. I think it's, you know, we've done 900 podcast episodes. We're not going to go viral. That's not what we're going. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. And the wonderful thing is, okay, if our 901st episode goes viral, we'll have the character and we'll have the business and we'll have the, the team and the strategy and the systems to, to maintain and sustain that. But there are a lot of people out there that, are relying on other people to tell them that they're doing good enough. And the problem with that is if you're relying on somebody else to say, Hey, you're great. You're also taking all of the negativity in the same, you know, one of my, my clients, and he came on our podcast one time, he said, you have to understand that no matter what the press is always wrong. You're not as good as you think. And you're not as bad as they they say you are somewhere in between and it always will be. And that's, that's for everybody out there. Not just if you're in the, the public light, I think that's an important thing to understand. Well, and, and you also have to understand this, where does this need for outside gratification come from? Mm. It starts when we're kids because we get it from our parents. We get it from our grandparents. We get it from our teachers. We get it from our peers and our siblings. We're always being weighed, judged by outside forces. We are never taught that, Hey, stop. What's important is you. And the funny thing is my mom used to annoy me because I would come home if, if occasionally I had a bad test score and the teacher ended up grading on a curve. So I'm like, well, mom, everybody else failed. And she's like, I don't care. I care about you. But at the time, because you're so immersed in the outside gratification world, you just look at, well, I'm with everybody else. So don't be so hard. Yeah. And I think if we, it goes back to something I talked about a couple of times on the show. I think we need to look at education a little bit differently. Mm. Yes, we need the education of the book knowledge that we learn for math, reading, all those things. But we also need to know hum- that there has to be a course on humanity yeah. and how to handle stress and how to interact with people. And with, with the virus and being isolated for so long for some people, they've lost their social skills. Mm. Yeah. And for a lot of people, those, those social skills were already deteriorating when I can just pick up my phone and press a button and the pizza will be here in, in five minutes. It's my fiance and I have a joke of, okay, do you want to order out? And we'll say, yeah. And it's like, okay, where are we want to, where are we going to order out? The place that I don't have to call is where I'm most likely going to order out because I'm talking all day. I don't want to talk anymore. So I think that's part of it. And, and just speaking to your point of if there was a class on self-awareness, I believe so many things would be different because like you said, so much of this stuff that we're experiencing later in life is happening during our middle school, high school, shortly thereafter years. I, somebody asked me, why do you think you've doubted yourself for most of your life? You were really good at sports and you've been in shape and you've had a lot of success. And I said, because my dad wasn't there when I was younger and I don't think I ever took a step out and said, Kev, this isn't your fault. You were a baby. You didn't, it's not your fault, but I think I internalized that. And I think I took that blame and that to me was not a chip on my shoulder. It was more of a a missing puzzle piece with other people that motivates them. 
and they go crush it. But I think if I had that level of self-awareness, what, what would be different? Everything would probably be different in some way, shape or form. True. And I mean, the thing is, when we're, tr- when we're missing that piece of us, especially when, for me, I, when my parents split, it wasn't a, it was a big thing because mm-hmm. nobody, not everybody was divorced. Divorce was not prominent. Yeah. So when my parents split, it was like, suddenly, okay, now I'm the odd man out. Why isn't your dad around? Yep. You know, and it just became very weird. Now it's, it's very commonplace. But at the time, and it was like, it became a bigger piece because it's like, okay, so what did I do wrong? And if something went wrong in my mom's life, she put it on me, even though I'm sure she didn't intend to do it. Mm. She did. And that, that starts affecting you. Yeah. Yeah. And so therefore you put these blocks in place in high school, junior high, and even younger that I'm not worthy. Mm. And it's a matter of looking at it facing it and going, okay, this was their baggage. And that's the one thing when, when I was in high school, the last part of my high school career, I had changed from a college prep school to a public school. Cause we moved. And the last, my senior year, I was only going three hours a day in my last half of my senior year. So I was almost like, why am I even bothering to go? Because I already had the credits. I just, I went three hours and that was it. And then I went to work and I'm like, No, you're going to finish because your mom didn't finish high school and your grandmother didn't finish high school. So you're going to beat this. You're going to break that cycle. And you have to come to a point where you look at your generational, your family history, and a lot of people don't, but your family history denotes somewhat of how your trajectory in life is going to go. Unless, like you said, you go, okay, you know what? I'm going to, I'm stopping it. And that's what I did. Same thing. They got married early. It's like, I'm not doing that. So you have to push that envelope when it comes to looking at your parents and where you want to go with your life. Yeah. And you have to be able to take a step out of the bubble and realize what your normal is doesn't necessarily equate to normalcy. We've had a bunch of psychotherapists or um, marriage and family therapists and counselors on our podcast. And one of my favorite questions to ask them is, how do you know if your normal was normal? And they go down the rabbit hole of, well, nothing is normal. There's no such thing. It just depends on what kind of trauma you've had. It depends on the way you were treated. And most importantly, or just as importantly as as anything else, it depends on what kind of work your parents have done. Because your parents are parenting you through the lens of how much they've experienced and the traumas they dealt with and how they handled those. So it really does become a rabbit hole. And if you step outside of that and realize, okay, and I think you said this, you said these words, break the cycle. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be the one to break the cycle. I'm going to be the one to instill a new behavior. Then that's when things start to pivot. But it does require often, maybe not always, but it does require some sort of necessity to pop up, right? For me, it was a suicidal moment that changed everything. For other people, it's trauma or losing a relationship, whatever it may be. And I think that if you can really sit with the pain for just a short amount of time and think, okay, what what caused this and what can I do to not allow this to happen again? That's where change really starts to happen. And it's painful. It's difficult. Easier said than done for sure. But it is doable. It is. Well, and the other thing you have to think about too is the fact that when we're younger, our mind doesn't, our mind has a certain skew. Our, mm-hmm. our, our mind protects us from certain things. But as we get older, we're able to look at it in a different sense. We, we're able to look at our parents with a little bit more forgiveness at times, with a little bit more grace. Then we have, to, we can look at our grandparents and say, you know what, they're the ones that raised them, but they're not the people that I knew because they mellowed out. But it takes us to be able to sit down as we get older and actually look at the truth instead of how we sugarcoated a situation. A lot of the times, you know, somebody may have picked on you at school and you didn't think it was a big deal. But if at 40 years old, you can still hear what that person said to you, then that ha- those words had pain. And the fact is, why did they say it? Who knows? But you have to release that. Yeah, they probably said it because they were probably going through something too. Exactly. Right. And and that's the the layers. But I remember somebody, I got glasses when I was, I think, a freshman in high school. And I remember one of the first days I walked in, somebody said, Hey, four eyes. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that until the day I die. Now, this person and I became friendly later on, but that was a that was a little bit of trauma. Not nothing crazy, nothing, you know, it, it wasn't life altering or anything, but I remember that. 
And I remember where it happened. I remember who it was. Mm -hmm. I remember how I felt. And yeah, it is one of those things that I'll remember forever. Yeah. The girl, my mom, uh, I was living with my grandma at the time and I was a sophomore in high school. And my mom had gone up to Shreveport because she would decided she wanted to be a truck driver. Mm. Good for her. And um, so I'm at school one day and I'm hanging out with my friends. And there was this one girl who hung out with us occasionally, but didn't really fit in. I don't even know the rest of the context of it. All I remember is she looked at me and she said, if your mother loved you, you would be with her and not down here with your grandmother. Mm. And I remember that was like somebody taking a knife to my heart. And I remember getting up and running and crying because it was like, how dare you say something so hurtful? Yeah. And maybe I deserved it, but I don't remember deserving it, but it was just the statement still stays there. And I remember who it was. And it's like, I have to let that go. You know, there, there gets to a point where you have to let it go. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because again, hindsight is twenty twenty, and with a new level of awareness, everything looks different, but you don't know how much one sentence, one phrase, one word, one joke can really impact somebody's life. You, you mm -hmm. have no idea because unless you've been on the other side and even then trauma is personal, relationships are personal, everything's personal. So you have no idea what the potential is for, the, for your words. And I don't know that you ever, you ever will because it's no. almost like the, that person that you're talking about probably has no idea unless, I don't know if you've spoken about it with no. this person, no. right? But like they have no idea that that's something you still remember. And if they did, I bet you they probably feel somewhat regretful if they if they realized however many years later, like, hey, I still remember that that like really hurt. It was really painful for me. You know, it's an interesting it's an interesting conversation for sure. If I remember correctly, in the movie Flatliners, the original Flatliners, I didn't see the remake. They had a kid that had tormented them. And that was kind of what was part of that whole premise of the movie mm. was trying to rectify that pain. So, I mean, Pain and trauma and triggers we don't really talk about, except now we're becoming more evolved. I grew up, I'm an author, and I grew up where you didn't have to worry about, you didn't have a trigger warning. You picked up a book, you read the blurb, and that was it. And whatever was in there was in there. Mm -hmm. And now there's a big push that we need trigger warnings and content warning because you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think it's understandable. I think now we've, there's so many things that we talk about openly now that there was just so much like mental health. You couldn't talk about being depressed 30 years ago. And I I'm 32. So I wasn't cognitive at that point. I was very young, but from what I've heard, so much has changed over the last couple decades. See, for me, um, when my parents split, I was 10, nine, nine, 10 years old. And in fifth grade, I started acting out like really badly. Mm. Um, so badly that I forged my mother's signature on a detention slip and got caught. So, I mean, I own that and I never did it again, but I, I was really at a loss. And so my mom put me in therapy. So I, I embraced therapy at the age of 10. So for me, I mean, I didn't use words like depression or anxiety because I didn't know them and I didn't, wasn't aware that I had these things. But for me, it's like when I left my first husband and that was back in the nineties, it was like, because I had that background already. And even when my mom passed, because she passed before my marriage, my marriage ended, I still knew that therapy was an okay source, mm -hmm. but that was still something that I was not very open that, Oh, I have a therapist because then it's like, Oh, so you're on that crazy train. We <laughs> want nothing to do. But the truth is you go to a therapist so you can clear your thoughts and work through things. Yeah. Oh, and that's another thing too. That's, not only common now, but it's, I don't want to say admirable because I think it's always been admirable, but having that level of vulnerability, just like you, I adopted the belief in therapy early in my early, early to mid twenties. And when people say, Hey, what do you suggest I do? I always say, well, I'm not a professional when it comes to that, but I would say, go see one that mm -hmm. helped me tremendously. And honestly, there's no shame around that. The only shame around that is the shame in the people who are making you feel shame for it. It's a wonderful thing to try to get help. We don't make fun of people for going and getting a personal trainer or hiring a dietitian or going to the doctor when they feel sick. Why should we do that when it comes to mental health? That's just as important as all those other things. Exactly. If not more. Oh yeah. And I mean, you know, back in 2020, when my husband passed in the car, here's the thing. I called my, I called family. I called friends. Of course I called my best friend to come 
get me. But the call when I was in the ER, when I, I was trying to, I needed some help and clarity, I called my therapist. Mm. So I could have that mental sounding board of non-judgment where she could be there for me without being, you know, just to make sure I was calm. Yeah. And I know some people are like, but you, why would you call your therapist? I just went through a traumatic event of watching my husband die. Granted, they brought him back, but still the, the emotion there, you need somebody to help ground you and your friends and your family are going to be there as that support, but they also have their own emotions about the situation. Yeah. And that's yeah. the thing about therapy that I don't think people realize when you're talking to a therapist and in a good case, if you've had a therapist for a long time, they know you well enough. And yes, there's a friendship, but it's not, it's still a clinical thing. Mm. And that's where you get the non-judgment, the safe space to be able to say what you need to say and have things reframed for you or yeah. help you reframe it yourself. Yeah. And get asked questions that you've never been asked. I remember there was questions that my therapist asked me that I was like, I don't know. I genuinely don't know what happened to me when I was younger. I don't have any memory of it. Right. And that's when I learned more about myself. And then I talked to family and I learned more about that. So yeah, it's, it really is. This person helps you become aware to the fact that what you're feeling may be normal. These are the reasons why you're feeling it. And this is how to not feel it or how to deal with it, you know, at a, at a better, uh, with a better ability or whatever it may be. But it, it really is. It's all about knowing yourself at the end of the day. It really is. I, the first podcast I started was called Hyperconscious, Acutely Aware. Because for most of my life, I felt like I lived unconsciously. And I was like, all right, what's the opposite of that? Hyperconscious. And I think that one of the things that people don't often talk about is the pain that comes with the perceived pain, the discomfort that comes with a new level of self-awareness because you look back on things all the time. I think one of the reasons growth oftentimes brings pain is because you're looking back with a new awareness thinking, oh, I never should have done that. I never would do that again. And if, if you can release that, it's wonderful. And I think you do in time, but I think that it's par for the course. There has to be some discomfort with a new perspective. Yeah, it has to be because it makes you grow. It makes you smarter. I mean, if you can go back and look at your life at the choices you make and the choices you made, granted, it's all hindsight, but if you can look at it with a different set of eyes, you have to come to a point where you forgive yourself because mm. that's the only way you're going to heal. And what you were saying about you don't remember your childhood. There's, there's certain things in our childhood that we block if it's too painful. Mm -hmm. And that's where I go back to, you eventually get to a point where your mind will go, wait a second, let's talk about this for a moment and really unpack it. You know, I've talked about this before because my mind for a long time, when I was in my early twenties, my stepfather and I got into a physical altercation and I said, that's how the way I always talked about it. It's like, we got into a physical altercation. So rolling into my forties. And we were watching something on TV and somebody went to choke somebody and they're like, oh, well, he needs to be arrested for attempted murder. And I'm like, wait a second. Mm. My stepfather had his hands around my throat. My stepfather had me up against the wall. He wasn't going to let go. I clawed him. That's why he let go. Wait a second. It wasn't a physical altercation. This man really was trying to kill me. And but what I'm getting at is your mind paints this lovely little picture that it was just a physical altercation, nothing to get too upset about. And I'm sure part of that was also my mom saying, well, if you call the cops and he throws you out, I can't do anything. Mm. So I think that's where the mind goes, okay, well, I'll protect you. Yeah. And then at a certain point when reality comes calling, you're like, okay, now I get it. I see it. I accept what happened. And it, and it clears that energy a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. The protection only gets you so far until it's time to release it. It mm -hmm. does its job and that's great, right? That's great. But at some point you have to let that go so you can move on to whatever the next step of that awareness is or that journey is. And it's, it's definitely difficult. It's definitely painful to look in those mirrors, but you have to believe that and trust and have the faith that on the other side of that is something better, something more beautiful, something that is more aligned, whatever it may be for you in your life, wherever you are. Right. Right. And I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you have to be able to unpack those things. Mm. And if you don't unpack them, then, you know, I, I look at, I look at like my father, he still refuses to face anything that he's done in the past. And 
granted he was a fireman so he saw a lot of stuff and he's dealt with it by medicating himself with alcohol for a while and now he's cold turkey he doesn't do that but when i asked him the other day something that we were talking via text and he said something to the fact that you know i'd have more money my my stepmom my prior stepmom told you know him i'd have more money if i uh if i wouldn't go out and party all the time and i'm like okay and i i i use the statement as when he, the comment he made, all it said to me was tell me you're an alcoholic without telling me you're an alcoholic. Cause he's like, but you know what? If I had to do it all over again, I'd do it just the same way. And I'm thinking, yeah, you didn't care or anything about your children and everything else, but okay, go right mm-hmm. ahead. Yeah. So it was just like, there's somebody that hasn't dealt with and will not deal most likely on in this lifetime of his crap. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much, the ego, a lot of people talk about the ego and there, there's an arrogant ego and there's a lot of different parts of the ego. But one of the things, one of the points of the ego is to protect you. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's what happens with a lot of people is it's easier to paint themselves as a villain or paint themselves as, ah, I don't care because caring is vulnerable. It requires a level of vulnerability to say, Hey, I really, I really care about you. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm sorry I made so, so many mistakes. It's harder to, to paddle upstream towards vulnerability than it is just to say, you know what? My identity is the person who lets other people down. I'm just going to lean into that. And I've seen that with so many people that their ego has convinced them that they're amazing. When they go to sleep at night, I know they don't feel that way. I know they don't because I've talked to them behind the scenes, but you would never guess that. And it's easier for them just to lean into their ego than it is to lean into the truth. And again, it's one of the, it's one of the things where if you have something traumatic happen to you, it may be a life or death situation, or you get your heart broken, whatever it may be, then you start to say, oh, am I happy with the way I was living? And if it all ended right now, would I regret it? And some people don't ever get to that, unfortunately. Well, and another thing about ego that you're talking about, while we have the ego that builds us up, we also have the ego that has the negative self-talk that will sit there and say, oh, you think you can do that? Oh, come on. You're being ridiculous. So, I mean, the ego is a very tricky thing, and it depends on if you buy into the Kool-Aid of it (laughs) or you buy into the, well, let's see, just something nasty. We won't even go there. (laughs) (laughs) I've always been on the the lack of belief. That's always been, that has always been my, regardless of results. It doesn't, it's all, that's always the current I'm swimming against and it's gotten easier and it's gotten better. And I've become more aware and cognizant of it, but there are all the time before this interview, there's like, uh, hopefully you don't screw this up too bad. And I've done this thousand over a thousand times. So I think you have to again, become aware of what your conditioning, what your normal is. And then, okay, what's the action plan? When I feel not enough, I look at the proof. Uh, The proof of you've done this, 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 awesome. When I feel way too good and like I don't even have to try, what do I look at? I look at the proof of the last time I went into something with that mindset and it crashed and burned. I went to a speech one time and this is not my style of prep. I didn't prep at all. I rolled in with five flashcards and I was like, this is going to be easy because I, I had done a speech a couple of weeks earlier and it went really well. And it was brutal. It was terrible. It, we were talking to, to children who grew up in broken homes and I forgot what I was saying. At one point I was doing push-ups with the kids for some reason. I have no idea why. And that night, my business partner and I went back and watched the entire footage we watched all we watched the entire thing and i squirmed through the entire thing but every time now i get on my high horse i say last time your ego got the best of you and you got a little arrogant you went past neutral this is what happened just make sure you remind yourself and vice versa and that's why at the end of the day i think action is the is the cure all if you don't think you have to try go try and see what happens maybe it'll go well maybe it won't if you think you can't succeed regardless Go try and see what happens. You might be pleasantly surprised. Action really is the cure-all because it it shows you where the ceiling is and it shows you where the floor is. And you have to know. It's important for you to know that. And most people, they they don't know it. Some people think, oh, I can just skate through. That's yeah. exactly what you're saying. And other people are like, they are so trying so hard to make sure everything is perfect. And there's like, 
there's got to be a balance. There's mm-hmm. got to be, because you can't be a perfectionist. And you can't just go, okay, I got this. Yeah. You have to find some kind of balance. And I think yeah. that's the hardest thing. It is. It is. And I think it comes with experience. Mm-hmm. You got to go out there and crash and burn at least once. And then you got to go out there and crush it at least once. But the problem is if you're wired to see your wins as nothings or your losses as jokes, that's when that's a whole nother layer of the ego protecting you from seeing the feedback or the ego protecting you from saying, Hey, you actually are pretty, pretty darn good at this. You should go do this more. And it's just, it always is. It's, it's a, a lifelong journey of figuring out who you are and then who you aspire to be. And then that, what, what does that mean? And then who you've been and what does that mean? And then just continuing to learn about yourself forever. I mean, I don't know that we'll ever have ourselves fully understood because there's so much going on. Right. And I think that the one thing is if you decide that you don't want, you want to just exist Mm. and watch TV and play video games and, and I'm not knocking anybody. I mean, that's fine if that's what you want to do, but at a certain point, you're going to wake up one day and say, my life is stagnating. And then, then where do you go from there? Mm. You know, I, I look at my husband who said that I want to, as soon as my parents die, I want to move out of Illinois. I don't want to live in Illinois anymore. Okay. Guess what? He never left Illinois. Mm. And it's unfortunate because he never took, he, he wanted to make his parents proud. He wanted to do certain things, but he didn't do them. He kept saying, well, there's always tomorrow. And that's the thing about leading a stagnant life is sometimes there is no tomorrow. You have to, you have to step up and take it and run with it. Mm. And, and so many times people don't. Yeah. It's heavy. It's a heavy responsibility to admit you want better and then chase better. It's just, it's a heavy, it's a heavy responsibility. And I remember very, very similar to what you were saying. I remember sitting at home with checks that I didn't even need to cash. I was like, I'll go cash them when I have time. And I I feel like going to the bank, just playing video games, eating pizza. I remember that there was this emptiness. And I thought like, ah, I just, maybe I need a relationship or maybe I need whatever. I don't know, whatever it is. And now I think I was missing contribution. I think I was missing growth. I think I was missing a purpose. And now my why power, the, the reason I do the things I do is big enough to make me do that. And I think that a lot of people need that. They just need a little bit more necessity. More often than not, you're not going to go to the gym to work out just to work out. There's got to be something on the other side. There's going to be some sort of necessity. There has to be a, a perceived, I don't want to say failure, but a, a perceived loss of momentum if you don't do something. There has to be, I'm not going to go run today. I'm not going to. I don't like running. But if I signed up for a marathon, I have way more necessity to do it because either I run or the day of that marathon, things are going to be really bad for me. Yeah. And it's that necessity that I think we're afraid to, to tie ourselves into. And again, I've been there. I still have days like that. I think everybody does. Oh, yeah. But you've you got to have a reason to do what you're doing. And if you don't, it's going to be very easy for you to back out of it in anything, in anything. That's why consistency is so difficult. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like the other day I woke up and I'm in the process of decluttering my home and stuff because I'm going to get ready to move eventually. And I woke up the other day and it had been a hell of a week last week. And I'm just like, you know, I really am just going to take it easy today. I'm not going to do anything. And it's like, no, <laughs> <laughs> you need to do this. You need to do that. And I mean, I know you have to cut yourself for self-care and have, yeah. but it was like, no, I have to get something done. I have to. Yeah. And, and sometimes you have to push through. How did you feel? How did you feel after? Did you feel accomplished? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I did. Of course I did. I mean, that's the reason why I did it. It's like, you're going to feel like a slacker if you don't. So you need to do it. And it, it, it's like, it's very easy to step away. The thing that I have a problem with now is I'm finding myself where I have to do this. And the funny thing is I had a meditation a long time ago, about three years ago, where my father-in-law told me you need to get your house in order. Because eventually you're not going to have time. And I know people are like your father-in-law. Well, my father-in-law was passed and I did this meditation and blah, blah, blah. Anyway. So the message was get your house in order. And I didn't. And now I don't have the time. So self-fulfilling prophecy, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) It's definitely possible. It's definitely possible. But it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, you have to find balance. And that's another thing about where we are. So I'm going to take a break for a real quick second and we'll be right back. 
Okay. And we're back. I want to talk about the fact that, yes, the, and, and you deal with clients and stuff. We tend now as a society to just push so much though. This is the, this is the other side to let's just sit around and let our life stagnate. Now we tend to want to, okay. And not for me personally, but in general, we have the, the lady who works, who has kids, who and she may be married, maybe not married. She doesn't have time to cook. So there's the fast food meals happening. There's not a lot of time to spend with the kids because now we're doing this. We still want to have a social life, you know, and, and how do we, you know, you have this side over here, the stagnating life. And you have this, that's the overachiever. Mm-hmm. So how do they, how do we find balance between the two? Yeah. One of the, I think one of the most impactful things that I've ever learned is most human beings don't know what actually fills their cup. And they think that if they pick up their cell phone after a long day and they scroll social media, that's filling their cup. No, no. You're just getting a dopamine drop. That's not helping you. That's not helping you. That's why that's the way social media is designed. It's, it's designed for that. So I think you have to sit down and write out a list of what are the 10 things that fill my cup the most? Because say on a weekend, very similar to what you said, a weekend comes around and you think, you know what? I'm just going to hang out today. I know I was going to go for a hike, but I'm going to hang out. Then come Monday, you're going to think to yourself, I really wish I would have gone for that hike. Yeah. Would I be tired after walking three miles? Absolutely. But would my cup be filled? Yes or no? Yes, it would. So I think recognizing and having understanding of what actually fills your cup is super important. And then I think it's also this, I'm guilty of this just like everybody else, but learning to not only set, but sustain your boundaries. So there's a couple different zones in life. There's the comfort zone, you doing what you do every day. There's no anxiety. It's super easy. You can do it with your eyes closed. There's the learning zone. It's testing your current capabilities. You're outside of your comfort zone. Things could go a little wrong, but you're not losing your mind. And then there's the anxiety zone. And the anxiety zone is when you have no idea what's going on. You feel like the ground could fall from underneath you at any point. You're terrified of everything happening. You got to figure out where you are on the day the day to day. Maybe your job is super anxiety provoking, right? If you're in the healthcare field or you're somewhere who has seen COVID like front lines, that's never happened before like that. You are probably living in the anxiety zone for a long time. And that's why you're burnt out. Understandably so. That's an important distinction there. Figure out, okay, on my day to day, where am I spending most of my time? Because in a way you want to expand your, your learning zone, which shrinks your anxiety zone and it grows your comfort zone and your comfort zone changes. So at some point, this will be my comfort zone just talking into a microphone. I've done it so many times. At the very beginning, it was the worst thing ever of all time. And I'm overthinking everything. So I think that's part of it too. And and the last thing, and and I spoke a little bit about this in, in the middle here, but setting and sustaining your boundaries. Stop doing stuff you don't want to do. Don't go to somebody's house because you feel indebted to them. And the majority of human beings are people pleasers. Mm-hmm. They're obligers, and that's okay. I, I have a lot of obliger tendencies myself. But I also realize that if you set a boundary and you don't sustain the boundary, that becomes the new boundary. And that becomes the relationship, that becomes the dynamic, and that becomes the identity that the person sees you with. So you owe it to yourself to start saying no to people, places, things, ideas, feelings, events that don't fill your cup. They're not aligned for you. If your relationships are built off of that, your relationships aren't going to fill your cup. They're going to drain you. And that's not sustainable for you. Well, there's two things I want to talk about based on what you were saying. Number one is anxiety. The thing about anxiety is sometimes things can seem totally normal during the day and you can go to bed at night and have a panic attack Mm -hmm. because subconsciously you, something is at working on you and you don't know what it is. And it's up to you to try to figure out and unpack it. Is it a childhood trauma that is subconsciously buried that is similar to the situation you're in? Mm. And if that's the case, sit down with yourself and try to unpack it and figure it out because otherwise it's going to continue to happen nightly. And it's not a pleasant experience. I know from experience here. Mm. Um, The other thing is saying no. I mean, there is such power in the word no. And I don't think people realize that it's like, you said it right. We want to please people. I had a roommate who was kind of a bully. And one night she's like, you know, and at this point I was worn down. I had, my marriage was over. I was worn down and 
I knew that she had punched her sister in the face and I didn't want to get into a physical altercation with this person. So no was not in my vocabulary. So I decided I wasn't really happy with this whole situation. So I started to see a new therapist and the therapist says, well, why are you scared to say no? I'm like, because she may hit me. She she said, so what's the worst thing that's going to happen? She hits you. So what? You, you, you'll survive. It's not going to be detrimental to you. So why not say no? I'm like, okay. So it was one night and it was going to rain and we, we lived in the city. And she's like, do you want to go to the movie? Th- movie? I'm like, no. It was like five, six blocks away from where we lived. And I'm like, no. She goes, why not? We, we can walk down there. We don't have to lose parking. I'm like, nope, don't want to go. Walks away, slams the door, goes in her bedroom, slams the door, doesn't say anything, comes back out. Are you coming? No, I'm not. Goes back in, slams the door, comes back out. I'm leaving now. Are you coming? No, I said, I'm not. Slams the door, goes, Mm. comes back drenched. Looks at me, walks in a room, slams the door. And I'm just like, okay, here we go. Because I was used to the silent treatment. When she got pissed off at me, that was, all right. Mm. Comes back out. So, So how was the movie? Oh, it was okay. Nothing happened. But it took me being brave enough to say no. Yeah. I had, I had a friend of mine reach out one day and he said, Kev, you and I aren't on the level of friendship we once were. Um, can you be that person that you once were for me? And I said, no, I can't, I can't. I, and I, and I sent an audio after that. I said, I, I don't want this to be with ego, but I think I need you to understand why I'm giving you the answer I'm giving you. I'm not saying no, because I don't want to be. I'm not physically capable of being the same level of friend I was because I just don't have that kind of time anymore. I'll still answer your messages when you text me as long as I don't have other more important messages. And I said, with, with no ego, and I'm sure there is some here, but I'm trying not to have any. I'm running a business. I'm $30,000 in debt. Uh, I'm doing six episodes a week. I'm going to the gym six times a week. Um, I have a fiance. I have all these things. I have a team who's depending on me. There's so many pressures on me. I can't be the same as I used to be. I owe it to other people to pour into them at a different level. And that was one of the most painful conversations I've ever had in my entire life. But you know what it did? It reset the relationship. Yeah. This person and I, we talk uh, every, every other week. Right, we exchanged text messages. It reset the relationship because I was vulnerable but courageous. And again, that took me years to do. So if you're right. out there saying, "Hey, I wish it was that easy," I understand. Trust me. Mm-hmm. But but you got to start with baby steps. Saying no, and maybe they'll say why. Um, honestly, I say this all the time. You might have to lie in the beginning. I'm okay with saying that. I know it's not the most virtuous thing in the world, but if you've never flexed that muscle, you need training wheels. Mm-hmm. So maybe something else came up. That's okay. As long as you're trying to focus on being more truthful as you continue, but you got to get the ball rolling. And I'm okay with saying maybe a little white lie here or there will help you do that. Well, and, and the other thing you got to consider, and most people don't is we all want to go from A to Z, of course, instead of A to B, you know, I, everybody wants the instant gratification and that's how we have been taught, but yeah. A to B is a little bit easier than B to C. Mm-hmm. So you take that step and you say, you know, maybe this relationship is not what it used to be. Maybe I need to change it. Um, I read cards and it never fails that I'll have clients come in and say, so is he coming back? It was a toxic relationship. Yeah, but I want my last say. So I've gotten to the point where it's like, look, you may never get that last say. And if you really want that last say, why not sit down and visualize it? Visualize what you wanted to say to that person. Write it down. Release it because they don't, it's not a fact. It, this is your expectation on what you think this is going to happen, how yeah. this is going to play out. Yeah. So you need to figure out. And I think that's even in those situations when you have a friend that you don't know how to recognize or deal with, maybe you need to sit down with yourself and write it out or visualize it in your head to come up with something that's going to be diplomatic, maybe, maybe a little white lie, maybe not, but something that's going to be diplomatic. So you don't feel so, Oh gosh, what did I just do? Yeah. Yeah. And one of the interesting things, Donna is so many people talk about being afraid to be alone, but very rarely do you hear somebody say, yeah, I just, one of my biggest fears is having five friends who just kind of suck. You've, I've never heard anybody ever say that ever. 
you know, but I've had the experience of being in a room full of people and being totally alone. Right. And nobody ever talks about that, but you know, you, you bring up being alone. I used to have this fear of it. I mean, I was terrified of being alone and because of COVID and because Mm -hmm. he, he passed in 2020, I have experienced grief in most everything. Occasionally I'll see a friend here or there, but occasionally for the most part now I've been alone. And it's like, had I not started doing this, Mm. my life would not be, this is very rewarding for me, but I would be alone all the time. Yeah. And that's a very weird thing, but I've come to realize that what I used to need in a relationship, I don't need that as much anymore. Mm. I mean, not saying that I don't, my husband was sick a lot. So we were together 24 seven, but now it's like, I am, I have so many other projects that I'm working on that in the next relationship, I don't need that. Mm. Well, that's an evolution. That's a, that's mm-hmm. a wonderful evolution. And in the point I'm trying to make with that is so many people, I don't think we're afraid to lose. I don't, I won't say, I don't want a blanket statement, but many people aren't afraid to lose love because their relationship is not based on love. Anyway, it's based on nostalgia. It's based on expectations. It's based on ego. It's based on being somebody you're not and sex and sex. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. But if you really sat down and if you're out there, think about this, are the people in my life, the best from my past or the best for my future? And right. if you have any question of, Oh boy, Oh, this person was really, we had a lot of fun back here when we used to party. Do you party anymore? No. Okay. Maybe that's not as aligned as it once was. This one is very hard because it's personal. It's personal, but I don't wear the same shoes I wore when I was in high school. I have different shoes now, right? I don't have the same laptop I had when I started this business. I have a new laptop, a new camera, because if it's not serving me, I have to, I have to find out what's going to help me get to the next level to the next thing, to the next opportunity, to the next level of impact. And if people did that with their relationships, I think people would realize pretty quickly that a lot would have to change. And that's very painful. And sometimes the pain you know isn't as painful as the pain you don't know. But something has to happen in order for that, you know, for you to look in that mirror, it's empowering. Yeah, it sucks a little bit for sure. But you'll be happier if you do eventually, not right away. A to B. A to B, like Donna said. Well, and I mean, a lot of the times, you know, when we talk about relationships, when we talk about, especially getting into relationships as younger people, you know, high school or whatever, and even college, you immediately it's, it's okay. Yeah. We had this nice time. And then it always ends up into this sexual thing. And so then you're basing your relationship on, on that need, that sexual need, that chemistry. But the fact of the matter is if this person, if you don't really know this person, if you really don't resonate with that person, I don't care how good the sex is, eventually that's going to fade. Mm. And most people don't think about that. They just think, oh, well, I want, I want this. Okay. Well, if, do you want that for the long term or do you want that for the short term? I'm not saying you can't have a great sexual relationship most of your life. I can't, I'm not saying that some people do, but in general, if you base a relationship on sex, it's not going to be able to withstand things. Mm. Well, and the even the, the another layer under that is if sex isn't your number one language of love or your number one human need, then that's not sustainable either because right. you're starting a relationship based on something that isn't necessarily as truthful to you as maybe it is the other person. So that's that's a great point. Right. And I mean, then we go back to let's unpack its expectations. I mean, the one thing that we never talk about when we go into a relationship, which I hate to say it, but maybe we need to be a little bit more negotiating in our relationships that goes, these are my expectations. And I know that seems very clinical, but, you know, how many people get in fights because their expectations aren't met? Mm. Because they weren't honest with what they were expecting out of the situation. Yeah, that's been such a so my partner and I, we we've been screwing this up because we just have not been as focused on it as we should be. So full disclosure, but we do a check-in every week where we go through the the five love languages, the six basic human needs. And we talk about, Hey, how are we, how are we doing overall? What are our new expectations moving forward? We have a relationship agreement. Kevin will scoop the litter box in the morning and Taryn will scoop the litter box at night. Kevin will do the dishes. Taryn will do the vacuuming. And it's been wonderful because it's, I know exactly what I should be doing in our agreement. Not Mm. she told me to do it. I tell her to do this. It's an agreement, but yeah, I agree. I think when you, when you start a job and a relationship is not a job, but just for the example, but you have, 
It is. But I think a lot of people would say, well, I don't want my relationship to be like a job. Just imagine the best job you've ever had in your entire life that is the best pay and the best benefits ever. You, you have a syllabus of what's expected. You will show up at this time. You will work this many hours. This is your vacation. It paints a nice picture so you have an understanding of where are the lines to stay in. And the lines in a relationship can always change, which is wonderful. But I 1 million percent agree with you. If we started with expectations, I think we would have a lot less frustration, a lot less letdown, and a lot less arguments because it's, look, we agreed to this. This is what we decided we were going to do here. Right. I mean, how many times do you hear somebody and a lot of, lot of ladies say in the past, well, I asked him to do this and he didn't do it. Hmm. Okay. And I'm going to be honest. I had, my husband had some medical issues, but so he couldn't see the best, but he still cooked. He loved cooking and he loved, he would do the dishes. So that was his thing. And I did the laundry. I mean, we, we, we took on roles that necessarily wouldn't be, we have a riding lawnmower. I will cut the grass. He wasn't late. He couldn't drive. So there was things that we took on these roles. However, yes, my husband also, and because, and this is the other thing we have to watch because he was terminally ill, he still wanted to do a lot of things. So he's like, let's redo the pantry. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want to buy, I want to get a chop cut miter saw. Okay. <laughs> man can't see the man can't see the laser, <laughs> but I'm like, okay. I acquiesce like a fool. And I, I look back and go, well, you did it because you wanted to appease him. You wanted mm-hmm. to make him comfortable in his last years. And so we got all the stuff for the pantry and everything. And it's still in the garage. And it wasn't done. And am I mad about it? No. Right. But there's so many people that'd be like, well, he was supposed. Yeah, he was supposed to. But yeah. you know what? A lot of times we're supposed to do things that we just don't. Yeah. Well, and that made him happy in the moment. And you yeah. knew you were, it's, it's like, there's always going to be a give and take there. Mm-hmm. One of the, the most impactful things that I've learned is you're not always going to get your needs met. Not every single moment of every single day. If he becomes a, a habit in the trajectory of the relationship, yeah, it's time to check in. But I'm okay with not getting certain needs met all the time because I understand that I'm probably not meeting all of my partner's needs all the time either. And it's just, how do we focus on improving that together forever? And if that was the conversation more of, look, I know I let you down. I I apologize. I know quality time has not been where you really would want it to be. It's not ideal. Here's a list of reasons why. These aren't excuses. These are just what I'm dealing with. I will do better. And that's it. And I think that's that's what a relationship should be. It's about growth. It's about growth and communication. Communication. And I was going to say, you know, because he was dealing with some issues, we used to, and this is going to sound corny to you most likely, because we're, yes, we're adults. We're in our 40s and 50s. And he would get depressed or whatever. And we got to a point where it was like, okay, we would we would have this code term that was like, I feel blue panda. And it got to a point where it's like, I actually went on eBay and I bought a little blue panda. Mm. And so it was like, if the blue panda came out on the kitchen table, it was like, okay, I'm not going to talk about it. I can, I'm not feeling good. We'll communicate about it later, but right now it's raw. Yeah. And I mean, that is, it's a love language. It's a, it's a communication without the verbal communication. Yeah. And I think this is the other thing I've talked about on the show before. There would be times when he's in the kitchen and he gets frustrated because he can't see something and he would say MF. And so I'd go in there and I'm like, are you okay? Is your name MF? <laughs> so I'd walk out. Now being a, at 20, I'm sure I would have turned around and looked at him and said something really smart, mm-hmm. but being an older person, it's like, this isn't about me. So I walk out, wait about 30 minutes and I come back and I'm like, are you okay? Yeah. That wasn't about you. I was mad at myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another thing that we need to look at it, whether it be friendship, relationship, or whatever, that sometimes that other person is mad at themselves and not mad at you. They just lash out because you're there. Yep. Yeah. And I think it requires, I would guess that you you had a level of vulnerability between the two of you that you could communicate about those things. I believe that the level of your relationship is directly connected to the level of vulnerability. If you don't feel comfortable or the other person doesn't feel comfortable saying, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, that's on me. I apologize for being late. Thank you so very much for, for waiting versus I didn't want to come here anyway. So at least yeah. I showed up like that's a completely different relationship. It's a completely different relationship. If you don't feel safe being vulnerable, you're probably not going to feel safe being your authentic self. And if you're not your authentic self, it's not truly sustainable. Right. Right. And I mean, him and I were so connected. It's like, man, my knee's hurting. He's like, yeah, my knee's hurting. I'm like, and as soon as I said it, and he verbalized it, mine went away. I'm like, oh, okay. 
<laughs> so yeah, we were more than vulnerable. We were connected in connected. so many creepy, weird ways, but mm. it's like when you, when you have that level of trust with somebody there, there's that vulnerability, but then there's still things I know that he didn't tell me about how he was feeling. Mm. And so you, you just try to keep going and going. And, and that's the other thing. And when you're dealing with somebody that's terminally ill, you, my doctor told me this after the fact, because I lived it and I didn't see it. You start living in anxiety. You don't realize the anxiety and the pressure you're under. You don't realize how, especially after they're, you're told, well, they're on borrowed time. Mm. So everything at that moment then becomes, okay, am I going to go to bed tonight and wake up and he's not going to be with me? Are we going to be somewhere? And I mean, it just becomes this whole in the back of your head, you're not actually always thinking about it, but there's always this level of anxiety. Yeah. I can only, I can't speak to that. I can only imagine I to, the, to the degree I, I can. And I'm sure it, it makes you think and act and, and appreciate in, in different ways than, than I probably never had the opportunity or necessity to. There, there was a pod. I wanted to do a podcast with him and I was going to call it counting the days. Mm. And he kept just being like, no, don't want to do it. I'm like, okay. So, but you know, I mean, the thing is, it still, it still was better to have loved him. And I was, that's why the whole podcast got started with better too, was because I told him when we got together, he's like, well, I'm sick and I'm going to die. He was, that was, we had 16 years together. So mm. he, he was playing drama King right there. And I was just like, it's better to love you and lose you than never to love you at all. Mm. And now looking back, it's like, uh, well, yeah, it still was, yeah. but that percent, that's what made me do the podcast was because everybody's got those moments, whether it be like you, you were, you know, how scary. And we didn't really dig into that. You, you were in a hotel room sitting on a bed. I mean, what got you to that moment where everything just seemed like, is it worth it? Mm, I was very out of alignment with the purpose that I had found that I had that I never knew I did. So, um, my initial rock bottom, my girlfriend left me. And that was when I was 25. And when I was 26, I said, I just want to make the most money I've ever made. Like that's going to fix my problems. That's going to do it. And I was on the road for 10 months out of 12. I was working in construction. So I was just on the road working in schools and working in state-owned buildings. And I got to the end of the year and I loved that year because I was making money. I didn't care. I, there was something about the grind that I appreciated. It was like, I am doing this. I was standing at my kitchen table because my girlfriend took the chairs and I never bought new ones because I was never home. And my pay stub had $100,000 on it. And I was like, oh. awesome. I'm 26 years old, no college degree. I did it. Yeah. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. Yeah. It was the same thing as when my girlfriend left me. So that's when I started the podcast. And I was still traveling, but I wanted to do the podcast and it kept getting pulled further and further and further. And I didn't care about the money. I was calling out. I was leaving the job early and it just got to the point where I'm in a hotel room in New Jersey. It's cold. It's a winter morning. And if you're out there, I hope you haven't had this feeling, but if you have, you'll understand it's that soul sucking. I just can't do this today. I, I cannot physically do this today. And I'm sitting on the edge of the bed and there's like 10 TVs on and they're, it's just, you're stuck here. You can never leave this job. What will your friends think? What will your family think? And do you really think you can be a successful podcaster? And in that moment, it's like, I don't want to be here. I honestly, I just rather be gone. I don't, I don't think I can do this anymore. And that was probably the third or fourth time I had had suicidal thoughts, even through therapy. Mm -hmm. Now I just didn't have, I felt hopeless. I felt helpless. I felt trapped. There was no sign of a brighter future. It was darker. There was a sign of a darker future. And I texted my business partner, Alan, who you've had on. And I said, hey, man, I'm feeling very bad in all these ways. And he said, Kev, so much has changed for you over the last couple of years, but your environment hasn't. And I left that job a few months later and I went all in in, in this journey. And again, trust me, this journey has taken parts of me that I will never get back to. Yeah. Uh, we didn't end up where we are today right away, but I think that that was the necessity I needed. When you're all the way at hell no, all the way at hell no, it's easier to go all in on hell yes. And now here we are 900 episodes later and everybody says, oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, it is, but it's been one heck of a journey and this journey has come from a rock bottom. There's nowhere else to go from up. 
And I'm grateful where we are for sure. And I also think that the pain that I was in created, I mean, I have never quit tattooed on my arm. So the pain that this is all created or that was created back then has also helped me form the work ethic, the habits, the consistency, the thicker skin, the appreciation, the gratitude. I think it's the the rock bottom pieces that, you know, when you're down there, that is a wonderful place to start a foundation. I know it sounds cliche, but if you can if you can hang on to the positive things that you built, everything gets a little bit brighter and you're capable of way more than you realize. Dealing with my mom, she was she did commit suicide. Mm-hmm. And I, she tried it several times when I was younger. And I remember the, telling her many times, you don't know what tomorrow holds. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. If you can hang on that tomorrow will be a better day. It may not be perfect, but there is hope you can continue on. And, you know, during this whole thing with him, my husband dying and everything, I've had my thoughts. I've had my thoughts of, I'm just tired of this, this, there's no hope. What's the future look like? And then I talk myself and it's like, get the frick out of your head Mm. because that's really what it is. It's your, your mind, your ego telling you, well, wouldn't it be easier just to check out? Wouldn't it be easier? You wouldn't have to worry about anything. And the fact of the matter is it's not any easier. Well, you know, don't you want to see what else the world's going to have for you? Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's why you continue to do what you do when you get up and you start going, I'm not going to fall into that trap. Yeah. And I think if somebody says that they've never had a suicidal thought in their life, I don't want to say that I would call them a liar, but I would say they were at least kidding themselves because I think everybody at some point has thought, why am I doing this? Why am I continuing? Yeah. And it's totally human. It's a matter of don't buy into your mind. Yeah. And just figure out what, where is that coming from? Like, what are we missing? What's missing? What's lacking? What's not aligned? What's, mm-hmm. I think it, it all circles back to what we've been talking about this entire time, the self-awareness. I knew why. Mm-hmm. I knew why. It was just a matter of whether or not I was willing to, to make that change. And luckily I did. And I had the resources. That's the other thing too is, I was in a position where I could make that change in the way I did. Maybe somebody else would have had to do things differently. And I, you know, I empathize and understand that. So I want to make sure I touch on that too. And I think part of it too, is the fear. It's the fear of the unknown and the fear mm-hmm. of what if I fail? What if, yep. you know, and the thing is, so what you fail, you pick yourself up, dust yourself off and you keep going. Yeah. You keep going because you never know. There's one person. I always, I always look at this car accident because you're like somebody, some people are like, well, you know, I don't matter. Well, you can't say that. I mean, when I was moving into this house, I dropped something. And so we stopped to clean it up. And then we were in the car and this man ran into the back of us because I stopped at a yellow light. If I wouldn't have been there, there was a kid who took off right as the light changed. He would have been T-boned by a guy going 60 miles an hour. He most likely would have been critically injured or, you know, dead. Mm-hmm. So because I made that choice and because I was there, that changed that kid's trajectory. And that's the thing about it. No matter what, this, co- this podcast could change somebody else's pr- trajectory. Mm-hmm. So no matter what, you matter to somebody. Never think you don't matter because even the smallest person in this world matters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people think, well, I don't, nobody's going to care if I'm gone. That's bullshit. Excuse me for being frank, but you do matter to ever somebody. You matter to somebody mm-hmm. always. Yeah. Beautifully said. Except for the curse word, but <laughs> well, no, that's, that's beautiful too. I think we need to emphasize how serious it is. So I, I really do enjoy, I really did enjoy talking with you, Kevin. Um, I know you have Next Level University and you have your podcast. So if you want to tell people a little bit about that stuff. Sure. Right ahead. I appreciate it. Yeah. Our, our thing is a heart driven, but no BS approach to holistic self-improvement for entrepreneurs. We talk about health, wealth, life, and love seven episodes a week. Uh, we're on all the podcast platforms as well as YouTube. So if you like what we talked about today, we do go pretty deep. Uh, but we also talk, you know, tips and tricks and tactics and all that stuff. So that is where you can find us. And that is my main thing. I'm, I'm blessed to be able to do that for a living now. So I'm very grateful. Well, thank you, Kevin, for coming on. Of course, Donna. Thank you. So as I said in the podcast, I think we all have those moments where we look at our lives and go, okay, what am I doing with it? Am I happy? What, what can make me happy? How do I fulfill myself? What do I need to do? 
And I think it's important that we really examine those moments because there are those moments that can make or break us. And as both Kevin and I said, there's always hope. You can't give up hope. No matter how dark things may seem, there's always a light. And maybe the next day you meet somebody or something changes in your circumstances. I mean, I remember, and I've talked about this before, coming, you know, coming back from vacation to a small town going, wow, my life is stagnating. And then getting a phone call saying, hey, talk to my boss. You want to be a disc jockey? And then my life changed and my life would continue to change after that. But the fact of the matter is, I thought my life was stagnating. I wasn't feeling rewarded anymore. And the truth is, that was an internal feeling. And it's a feeling I had to work through to get there, to accept who I was and say, okay, no more. I want to change my life. And that's what I did. So if you find yourself in a situation where you're feeling like you don't have the hope, reach out to somebody, reach out to somebody that's in your family, a friend, or even a therapist. It's important because ultimately you do matter. We all matter. We all fit into this world, in this space. And as I said, you have a place in here. You may not know what your purpose is. You may not know your reason for being here, but your life could matter way more than you ever realize to somebody else. So on that note, the podcast is brought to you by dmneedham.com where I have my books. I have information about the guests on the podcast and all sorts of wonderful stuff. If you have a question, comment, or concern about the podcast, you can drop me an email at Donna at better2podcast.com. That's Donna at better2podcast.com. And if you need to catch up on the episode, you can find that at the Better 2 Podcast site, as well as our social media links. The sound, as always, has been done by Rich Zai of Third Year Audio. And, well, I think that's about wrapping it up for today. I hope you enjoy the show, and I hope you have a wonderful evening, day, weekend, whenever you're choosing to listen. And I'll catch you next time, guys. Bye. The Better Two Podcast is mixed, edited, and produced by Rich Zai of Third Ear Audio Productions. 